0: Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. This morning, my title of my sermon is Behind the Wall. And as you can see, I've got all these boxes here full of my notes. I'm just kidding. That's not my notes there. We'd be here a long time if that was my notes. But uh, what I have here is we're talking about the presence of God. You know, being in the presence of God. And we all know about walls. We all have different kinds of walls. We have uh, different heights and different uh, widths. We have firewalls, flood walls, all kinds and types of walls, but some hold back water, some hold back fire, some uh, divide, some prevent things. But we all have different kind of walls in our, in our life. And some are made of brick, stone, Uh, We even have some made of earth and uh, having the privilege of being a grandfather. I've even got to live back when my child's uh, raising them. I have the three little pigs. They built walls of all kinds of material. Remember, they had what? Hay and sticks and bricks. And and, uh, until the bad wolf come and try to blow them down. So we all know about these different types of walls, but I wrote some of these down, what kind of walls and what kind of songs and and different things we've had in our lives about walls. So let me read a few of them to you. Here we go. You never know what I'm gonna say. Here we go. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. And in the early 80s, Pink Floyd sang about another brick in the wall. Elvis sang about walls that has ears. That's for some of you older ladies there. And Michael Jackson sang off the wall. Justin Timberlake, he didn't know how to hold the wall and Sam Smith was writing on the wall. Now here you go for some younger ones. Miley Cyrus was a wrecking ball and Berlin had a wall running right through the middle of the town. Now China had a a wall running for, get this, 13,170 miles long. That's a long wall. And President Trump, yes, he tried to build a wall. And then the police might tell you to put your hands on a wall. And I have lost my recess privileges and had to stand up against the wall. And in Jerusalem, they do have a wailing wall. And, uh, and so in the walls of Jericho, they come tumbling down and rehabbed. Uh, she lived on the city wall and helped two Israeli spies to go over the wall. It was uh, Caleb and Joshua. And King Belshazzar, Belshazzar, he uh, saw just a finger writing on the wall. Nehemiah, he built a wall, and the apostle Peter had an angel free him from the prison walls. And Paul was uh, lowered over the city wall in a basket. I guess he was a basket case after all. But Paul and Silas sang while he was locked up behind prison walls, and, and like most of you, And I I drove my mom up the wall most of the time. And that's, that's true. But we all have access to God through the veil, through the wall of the temple. And isn't that wonderful that we can go to God through the veil, that we didn't have access before, that we can be in the presence of God. That we don't have to stand on this side of the veil or the wall to get to the access of God. It says in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. He gave it up. And behold, the veil, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook in the rocks were split, we have the privilege to be in the presence of the almighty living God. Isn't that wonderful that we can live in the presence of God? And so in Galatians, it tells us in the fifth chapter, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which God has made us free. I am thankful that I am free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I am glad I'm free, and who is free is free indeed. And I have the privilege of being in the presence of God through the cross, that I can be in the presence of God. And, uh, but we all construct bricks by brick, row after row. We watch stones from our lives And we elevate these places and we put ourselves at times from the God, from God, from the presence of God behind things in our life that become uh, obstructions to the presence of God. And in our spiritual progress, it can stun or slow or even gain us or nowhere or can even become static I can say that sometimes in my life I've looked back and there's been times where I've just been static with the Lord. And it's just like, what's happened? But things have gotten out of balance. And I have to go and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And get back and push back and get back into the presence of God because the enemy, he is very good at what he does. He'll take something that's very innocent and put it between you and God. So it usually happens very slow and most of the time it's about with my own doing. I'm the one that put it there and I'm the one that trips over it most of the time. And we are blessed and fortunate to be living on this side of the cross. Thank the Lord for that. And the separation that kept mankind away from God's presence was eradicated by the work of the cross at Calvary. And uh, Philippians tells me, Whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Boy, that was Paul writing that. That everything's rubbish to him to gain Christ. I don't. Am I there in my life yet? Do I think that everything in my life is rubbish just to gain Christ? Oh, say it isn't so. I, I think that we all need to push to that point. Now, I take, took this material from The Crucified Life, written by A.W. Tozer, and I, I enjoy his writing, so I, I, I gleaned or I, I took all this material from his book. Have of one of his chapters. And he writes here, uh, A.W. Tozer says, no deeper life can exist until life has been first established. No progress can be made in the way until we are in the way. No growth can uh, be made until there is a new birth. And that was written by A.W. Tozer. Now, you talk to my parents, I've been in the way all my life. Yeah, I'm always getting in trouble, but I can't say that when I started this journey with Jesus Christ about the age 10 or 11 that I've always been in the way the whole time. I've had my ups and downs. I've stayed, went in the gray zone, you might say for a while, and let myself have obstructions in my way from the presence of God. But all efforts toward the deeper life, the crucified will be disappointing unless we have settled matters of repentance from dead works. And two, if we have settled the forgiveness of our sins, to get forgiveness, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins and the importations of light and conversion is the light living inside me. And do I carry that life in my life every day? Do I carry that wherever I go? No matter where I'm at, if I'm in the grocery store or if I'm in school or if I'm on the job, am I that light? Am I carrying that light? Or do I put that under a, remember that little song, do I hide under a bushel? No, I'm going to let my little light shine. And two things go a long way, breaking the static condition. The crucified life involves completely forsaking the world. Total abandonment. And I think that's where revival comes in when we say, I'm sold out completely for Jesus Christ. I am not going to live for the world anymore. I am totally his. I am sold out for Jesus. And number two, the crucified life means turning fully to Jesus Christ. Turning fully to Jesus Christ. And yet, Tozer writes, yet nobody can be a Christian in the right sense of the word until they have forsaken the world. And I have a heart condition uh, in a sense. It is forsaking the world in your heart that makes you unworldly. It is never possible, however, to forsake the world in spirit if it is not forsaken in practice. So we're going to start building a wall here, and it's going to be symbolic. But the starter row, we would think And we make sure that this brick, that we have it under control. Have you ever had things that you thought you had under control? More likely that this is, uh, it starts out of something that we like, something we think is fun and and we like doing, and then we, uh, it's harmless. But we recognize that the placement and the priorities in our life, it gets out of balance And it's the who and the what and the where of your number one in your life. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Indeed, you fail the test. So the first brick I'm going to put up here is the pride and stubbornness. Man, that's a tough brick. But it is the strongest of our nature. It is the Adamic uh, in nature of our lives. So I'm going to start building a wall here. You guys are actually going to see me do manual labor. I, I, I'm allergic to manual labor. I put that on my, uh, my, you know, when you go to the doctor and they say, are you allergic to anything? I put down ma- manual labor all the time. The doctor always asks me, he says, why are you putting that down there? I said, I break out in sweat if I do manual labor. Manuel and I don't get along very well. So this is going to be our first row right here. I Turn my back to the audience. That's the first no-no. But there's our first row right there. So so we have here pride and stubbornness. And I have to admit, I'm like my little puppy dog, uh, Very stubborn. So, and if you don't agree with me that, uh, about being stubborn, that it's just part of our nature, then uh, you would quickly change your mind if you're around some toddlers, like the two-year-olds and stuff. And if you don't mind being around a two-year-old and three-year-olds that say no and stubborn, we've got a job for you here at the church. We... (laughs) You can just sign up today down at Sister Kim's desk, and we can put you in the nursery next week because those kids are stubborn. They'll tell you no, no, no. You tell them not to touch something, there'll be three of them touching it when you turn your back. So we've got a job for you. But that's just the way we are made. We are very stubborn. So in self, self is that person that stares back at yourself in the morning. I look at him sometimes, that fella looking back at me, and I'm saying, what has happened? He's getting more of these, what do you call these, crow's feet right here, and getting more wrinkles around here. And then sometimes he looks like my dad. I'm like, what happened? Where where did I go? And I look at Dean Allen's looking back at me in my face. And I'm like, that's just not right. And the one that gives me the most trouble is the guy looking back in the, in, you know, in the mirror. And it's like the seven, it's white in the seven doors, uh, mirror, mirror on the wall. And the thing that which causes me the most trouble is, you know, or causes us the most problem is the thing that we honor the most. And I saw this little quote, it said, mirror, mirror on the wall, do you see Christ in me at all? And I read that, and I'm like, man, that's pretty strong. And when I get up in the morning, do I, do I really see that? Mirror, mirror on the wall, do you see Christ in me at all? Man, that's, that hits pretty hard. But I hope, I, I hope. and then yes, I do see Christ in me. And I hope you see Christ in yourself. So we use that word ego and, and stuff like that. And how can one word, ego, give us so much problems with ourselves. but you can see it in your family and friends, and and you get an ego. You get a Thanksgiving dinner, and you start talking sports, and you think you're right, and then you think your uncle or your brother-in-law, he's right, and next thing you know, you've got a domestic, and then the cops show up, and you're on the next episode of Cops because all of ego, everybody's right, or, or, or. Grandma made the ham this way, and and sister says no, and aunt so-and-so says this way, and they're all making a mess, and then everybody's fighting, you know, over ego. So anyway, is it wrong to think good or even highly of oneself or their families and friends? No, it's, it's not really wrong, but the issue is that we take God out of his rightful place. Why would we or why would we think that we could put God out of his rightful place? But it says in Proverbs the 13th chapter, 10th verses, but pride comes nothing uh, but strife. But with the well advice uh, is wisdom. That takes me to my second row, self-will. It's associated with pride and stubbornness, but it's dangerous. Dangerous aspect of these bricks that is a very religious thing. So let me start building the second one right here. Boy, oh boy. I hope the Bricklayers Union doesn't catch me building a wall. They'll be mad at me for sure. I had the privilege to go with my son. He went to Kansas City with firefighting in high school and we got to see all the trades in high school building things and we got to see the the masons building these walls. They had all kinds of plums and measurements and they would in four hours build these structures. That were amazing. Look at that, I'm good. Don't put a level on that now. That, That might not be square, so here we go. But in the natural world, it is a positive thing, self-will. A self-starter, being on the job. But in the church context, it can be very devastating. Self-will is a perverted free will. And this is, a, this is a, in this sermon right here. It can get complicated. So try to listen in this little paragraph here. Self-will must not be self-will because man is a dependent creature. We are a dependent creature. We don't like to think like that. We like to be independent. I can do it myself. And you know, here, watch this, the famous words, watch this. And uh, free will becomes self-will because man allowed himself to be guided to what was pleasant to the eye and good for food, rather than what he knew to be the will of him, God, on whom he depended. Serving oneself is the essence of sin for one who has made in every way dependent upon God. If we're dependent on God, then self will is not in that, shouldn't be in that vocabulary. We should depend on God for everything. Not to say that we don't go to the grocery or anything like that or go to work, but we. She'd depend on like God gave me this job. God's blessed me with the, the means to buy my groceries. And then I, I had a, an aunt that uh, she worked very hard, but her husband left her um, with five kids. Uh, my cousin was about six, and they were all the way down to a baby. All these kids, and my grandmother helped, and there was times that the groceries weren't there. And my aunt would go to her prayer closet and instead of her start making phone calls like, I need this. Hey, so-and-so, I need this. Or so-and-so, I need this. She would start praying. God, I, I don't know how I'm gonna feed these babies. You know what? After a while, there'd be a knock on the door. She'd go to the door and there'd be a sack of groceries there waiting for her. That's what God does when you depend on God. And it happened more than once. And that story is not a single story. You can go look up stories and this happens to people that depend on God and they go to their prayer closet. God will provide for them. God does provide. So the counteraction is this, is that God, the delusion of God with man being independent and being, um, therefore may follow the vices of his own heart. That's in Daniel. God will let you follow your own devices and desires of your heart. And in the Psalms it says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. And so in the divine law, like we have gravity, the law of gravity, in the divine law, self-will, um, it messes up or usurps God's will. So if you want to, it messes up, if you want God to work in your life, Just keep trying to do it on your own. When God says, I'm here, I want to help you, but you never let go and let him do it. You see how that just messes up God's plan for your life. I'm going to do it my way. So so it's like, and then you look at this, if you scratch the surface, it appears uh, uh, that this person in the beginning just sit back and watch the person that wants to do everything their way, is uh, if you ever mess with them on the surface, it looks like they got everything together, but you just mess up their day. It's like, have you ever put a Mentos in a Coke bottle and it explodes everywhere? That's what this person is like. If, if, you know, everything has to be their way, it's their way or no way, and you put that Mentos, in a cap, and he put a little dental floss there. And when that thing drops down, on that coke, look out, you've set somebody up, and that thing's going to explode. And that's that personality. Um, and they're very volatile. And that's no way to be when. So self will distorts the smiling face of God and veils the fact that God's will has our best interest in mind for the long run. Self-will is only concerned about the now. Self-will is only concerned about the now. And that takes me to the third row, religious ambition. Boy, I'm going to get in trouble here. It's the most deceptive of all the building blocks. A person can be very, have a very religious ambition, and it's often seen, but unfortunately, religious ambition distorts the will of God. Let me start building this one. I hope you guys see what is happening here. It's getting higher, isn't it? This this wall's going to get high. It's going to separate us here in a minute. I better get me a stepladder. I'm a short feller. I might have to get a tall person here in a minute. Let me put this one right here. Here we go. It's uh, unfortunately a religious ambition to source the will of God. The desire is for our church to grow and be a strong presence in our community. But you get an ambition and an ambitious personality, it mixes with an extra amount of excitement, and uh, it can distort the purpose of our church. It can distort the mission statement of the church. And what is that message? It is the cross. It is the gospel. And take that about Jesus. And when that gets distorted, anything that takes us off the eyes and the focus off Jesus Christ and trips the believer, that's a stumbling block. And this is what happens when we forget about the mission. So, it is very easy to find ourselves getting distracted from the mission, Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. So we have to be very careful with religious ambition. We forget about the mission. It should always be about Jesus Christ and the cross and about lost souls. And when we forget about the mission, then religious ambition can be turned very easily and be a stumbling block and separated us from the presence of God. That happened with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Bible. They were, had a lot of ambition, but they did not have the presence of God. They were going through all the steps and all the works, but they did not have the presence of God with them. That takes me to the fourth row. Ownership. Ownership. Mine, mine. This is mine. Just like a child, whatever I claim for myself becomes an obstruction, obscuring my view from God. Uh, What I I, uh, do not absolutely surrender and give to God becomes between me and God. So some people believe if I pray long enough and if I fast enough and I do something enough or try anything long enough, Just maybe, just maybe, God would change his mind. Lord, have mercy. I prayed. My wife's sitting over there, but I'm just going to say anyway. There's some girls I prayed about in high school that broke up with me. I got that deadly thing. I like you as a brother. I like you as a friend. And I don't see you as a boyfriend. It breaks your heart. Then you say, oh, God, oh, God, please bring her back. Please bring her back. Lord, I'm so glad God saw my future. You look back now or I see him out somewhere. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving me. It's just like God knows what's best for you. And I'm glad that God knew what he was doing when he put Susan and I together. Now, maybe that's just a shame I said that, but anyway. But placing everything on the altar and leaving it on the altar, and then uh, we can experience the overflow, the brightness of his presence upon everything, and genuinely place everything on the altar and leaving it there and, and go to God and follow him and be humble to him and humble ourselves to him. Relinquish any claim of our Isaacs, our prized possessions. Boy, that's that's tough, how Abraham laid his Isaac down on the altar, his most prized possession. And he depended on the great I am for all his needs. Then you and I will find ourselves having a positive, changing perspective for the rest of our lives, depending on God for everything. So not only here at this present time, but in eternity. You'll take that into eternity with you, having God with you. But Abraham, the meaning of Abraham says, my God will supply. What a name, my God will supply. But I don't know, I might not know the how and I might not know the why, but all I need to know is the who. Who's gonna meet my need. And the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world, and all that lives in it. And in Corinthians says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I know the God and I know the great I am. I need to stay in his presence and he's going to take care of me. And I don't need to be putting walls between him and myself. So then I go to the next brick in this wall that I'm building is fear. The father of fear is unbelief. Fear distorts us from God's presence. So let me get started on this one. I need to put something on here to stabilize us. We're going to have, a, we're going to have some rumble. Oh, Lori, look at this. What's that, What's that game? Jinko? Everything falls down here. It's going to, there you go. That's going to be, it's going to be in Jerry's lap here in a minute. If I'm not careful, let me put this one. Let's put it in the middle. Lord, here we go. we go. There we go. You guys actually see me doing something. You guys wonder what I do around here. You so saw I make fun of everybody. Look at that. I'm gonna put that right there. Now you see, you guys are. Can you still see me up here? Can you see me? Okay. We're talking about fear. Do we really believe that God has our best in mind? Do you really believe that? Or are you just saying that? I hope you believe it. And is there a hint of fear in your heart obscuring God from your intentions? My circumstances are no indication of whether that God's smiling favor is with me. Hebrews says in the 13th chapter in the fifth verse says that he will never leave you or he will never forsake you. So we should never, fear causes me to look at my circumstances instead of relying on him and his presence. Wow. Is not this the situation of the three Hebrew children that they found themselves in? Boy, they had a lot to fear. You know, we go to tanning beds, but I think this was, tanning bed was a little excessive myself. You know, they got a little hot there. But had these three Hebrew children of God looked at their circumstances before them, they would have focused only on the flames. They would have never seen past the fiery furnace and walked in the fire. They would have never seen or got to walk with the presence of God. Sometimes you have to look past the fiery furnace to see the presence of God. They would have never experience that if they were only f- focused on their circumstance. Now, my next row of bricks. I know. Here we go. Money. I was going to play that song. Money, money, money. Money, money, money. Remember that song we used to have? I used to be a bitty man, businessman. Remember bitty, bitty business. I was a paper boy about five years when I was a little feller. I had one of them coin changers on my belt. Remember those? You asked me for change, I'd go click, 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 click. I'd have it in my hand, give it out to the customer. We were full service. I'd put, take the paper and put it in the door. We didn't throw them up on the, the curb. And uh, not every Thursday and Friday, I'd knock on the door, collecting, collecting. And everybody in Royal Oaks and Springboro, they knew my family because my sister and I had Paper outs. So I was a businessman and we knew about money. And my dad would send us out and make us collect our money. But uh, it is an easy web to get yourself into you know, for the believer from the presence of God. And it isn't about the quantity, it's not about the quantity. It's not about too much and it's not about too little. And I saw this quote by A.W. Tozer that just was like ringing a bell. Here it is This has never been about how much money you have, but rather about how much money has you. Amen. I love it. I've seen people that are there on, they have money, but they never bless, bless, bless others. Then I've seen people. I've worked with them, they're on the next thing to get rich, next thing to ri- get rich, next thing to get rich. Or they got this ticket to get rich, this ticket to get rich, and they're, they doing it time in. God meets all my needs. If I need it, he'll supply it. If I got it, people need it, here it is. God supplies all of our needs. And we get so caught up on things like that. Now the seventh row I'm gonna go on is friendships. Oh boy, here we go. This is another one, the most difficult wall and the one that causes us the most difficulty. Friendships can get between God and us. Saved and unsaved, our friendships can become more important to us than our relationship with God. The problem here is that there's a great deal of pressure for us to adjust to one another And uh, the common denominator is ourselves. Now, you can see what's going to happen here. Here we go. I'm going to start this one up here. And this is what happens. This could be all one brick or it could be a multiple bricks. And before you know it, you, you have blocked yourself just like the veil in the temple. But God has tore it. Jesus Christ did that on the, ve- on the cross. See this? Look at this. I'm getting good here. <clears throat> and just like this, you can't see me and I can't see you. Just like that. Let me get this out, out of the way. In friendships, we are called to adjust ourselves to God, not adjust ourselves to one another. And Christian fellowship is wonderful and encouraging and needed. But when it begins to replace our fellowship with God, which can easily happen, it becomes a wall of obscurity. See, anything can get out of place and become a wall. And then you're like, who moved? Did God move or did I move? Did I put something up between God and myself? and that happens happens a lot. We see people that come to church and all of a sudden we're like, "Where's so and so?" And we find out that they've had something in their life or something and they've got a wall up in between them. And this is where we have to push and get these things out of our life. And then the next one, and the last one. Some walls of a social position This can be the hardest one to tear down. And it can hold our identity by the positions we hold. I was a firefighter, paramedic. Boy, do we get caught up in that. The whole scene of being a firefighter riding around that truck. And all the little kids, and yes, all the women, look at firefighters. You could be chubby. You could be, you know, all they see this is from your chest up. And that fire truck right now, and them girls waving, you get out and you got all this hanging out, boy, and you get out to go to Myers and buy your groceries, they don't think you're so hot anymore. That, what, what's that calendar? Hunks and ladders? There's a few guys that make the calendar, but there's more of us that are like chunks and ladders that, that make that calendar than the hunks and ladders, let me tell you. Because we like naps. We don't like working out. We like taking naps. But... Anyhow, but uh, you can see the obstruction right there. So then we put that next one up there, and you're totally obstructed. If between you and me, boy, this is going to be tall. Between the presence of God, you can hear me. Some people come on Sunday, and they, they, they feel the presence of God because who's sitting next to them or they'll turn the TV on. Oh, boy. They'll, they'll feel the presence of God because of who's around them, but do are they able to find the presence of God when they're alone by themselves? Look at that. So we need to tear this wall down. See, you if Pastor Joe was here, you couldn't even get to the presence of God. You're blocked. You're blocked from the presence. So let's tear this wall down. Some walls and or aspects of our life. They seem innocent, but clearly they are bricks that obscure, block, separate, and removes, detach, disconnects us from the presence of God. Some portion of the believers understand this. Some of us understand this. And daily we seek Him. We go after His presence. We get down on our knee and say, Lord, I'm here today. Or you're driving your car and say, Lord, on the way to work, I'm here God, I need you today. Help me. My boss is so mad at me. I need your help today. So, so but then, but others are like the Israelites in the wilderness. They walk right up to Kadesh Barnea. It's the southern border of Israel. They walk like the children of Israel. They walk right up to the promise. They can see it. They're right there. They can get all the promise and they turn around and they walk away. And when they walk away, they like to complain about the sand in their shoes because they never go into the promise. But God has so much for them, but they don't want to tear this wall down. So, I keep saying so. But then it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Righteousness. And all this will be added to you. Then Luke says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. And I will stand before the Son of Man. So I want to start taking this down. So we need to seek the Lord. We need to just throw these away. That's what you do. You start throwing these blocks away. Get them out of your life. Isn't that about time that you get these blocks out of your life? Let me start tearing these down. Remember the scripture says that we are the temple of the Lord. Aren't, aren't we supposed to be the temple of the Lord? But what is a temple if we don't have the Lord in the temple? Is it a temple at all? If we're not serving the Lord? Or is it the, if the Lord's not been there for three, four, five days or more? And if, if, if in your temple, if you've got all kinds of little G's there, all kinds of gods that you've got out of a balanced, what's in your temple? So I'm, I'm getting rid of all this stuff here. Let me lay this one down here. It's to topple everything. So, I, so everything's out of balance. God wants to be with you. but God's not going to compete with you. God's not going to compete with all the stuff in your life. He wants to be number one. But he's not gonna try to position himself. The only position that he wants is you. Bow down before him. But he's not going to move that way. Let's see if I can get this fixed here. The way to do this, see if I can get this out of here. Oh boy, let me get this out of here. Look at this, look at that. Let's get these out of here, look at that. If I get this one out, I've been doing really good. See if I can get this out. Well, it ain't that tricky. See what I've done? I'm getting all these blocks out of the way. And I'm gonna put this one back up in order for you to have the blessed life and be crucified. This is what you need to have be focused on. The cross. This is what you need to be focused on. Like I said, God won't compete with you. He wants, he does not want to compete with you, but he wants to be first in your life. You don't put limits on the Holy Spirit. James 4 and 3 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Have you drawn near to God? He wants you to be in his presence. He wants to be with you. He wants to be your shepherd. He says, come unto me. Have you come unto him? He wants you, but you have to come to the cross. You need to get all that stuff. You say, but I'm a Christian. That's right, but have you cleared all the way? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And it's the cross that we need to keep our eyes on.